Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello. And welcome to Blizzard Watch, the podcast where we watch Blizzard intently, like the Eye of Sauron. No, we don't do that. I, I For one thing, I need to use the bathroom from time to time. Uh, with me this week are two simply simulated co-hosts. I'm going to say they're simulated this week, and you'll know why if you get managed to hear the Patreon for this, because it's crazy. Uh, first up, because he knows everything about German simulation games, Alex Zivart. Are you yourself a simulation? Am, am I, if I, yeah, if I'm simulated, am I... Here am I me? Am I real? I think someone is playing you. Hmm. Some very devoted German person is playing you right now. That's disturbing. But hey, if, I mean, if they enjoy that, more power <laughs> to them. Uh, also this week, um, hopefully not simulated because she does practically everything and is always here, except for that one show we found out she missed. I still don't believe that show actually exists. Uh, Anne Stickney. You know, this is like this entire thing is just it's podcast simulator. Like there's some guy, there's some guy. He's not just playing Alex. He's playing all. It, it's podcast simulator. He chose us. We were the hosts. He chose podcast simulator 2014. Make make podcast about Blizzard games. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I guess the challenge in a podcast simulator is making sure the hosts aren't awkward and there's no radio silence. And they are really bad at this game. Yeah. They're terrible. My God, what are they doing? They're so awful at this game. <laughs> Every so often, he just gets up and goes away and comes back. Oh, that's what they did. <laughs> so, uh, as is usually the case, we talk about Blizzard games and the things going on in Blizzard games and so forth and so on. Uh, this week, one of the things we should probably talk about is the Warcraft movie trailer is out. At least well, the most recent one. It was like a couple of different TV spots that they put yeah. out. The one I saw was the PvP one, they called it. I mean, people were calling it that on the line. I don't think they actually called it that when they did the spot, but everybody was calling it that online. That's one. That's the one where the dwarf talked or the one where the dwarf just made an appearance. Uh, the one it's the one where they fought like up front, he, he picks up a shield and it's they're They're going at it. And then the dwarf yells something. So um, is it the me. one with the, with the rock music. Yes, it was rock. Okay. Music. All right. Does the appearance, like the visual appearance of the dwarves in the Warcraft movie that we've seen so far, make anybody else want to puke a little bit? Uh, I wouldn't say that. No, they look disgusting. You're weird. Like, I thought gross. they looked like dwarves. I thought it was pretty cool. They look good. Well, I I neither felt like Alex <laughs> with his his extreme disgust or like Anne with her yay they look good. I fought dwarf and moved on because I don't like dwarves and I don't care about them. I, mean, I think the orcs in the movie look really good. Uh, <laughs> the CGI of the humans is excellent. Yeah, the, they nailed humans. Um, I, the elves. The elves look like they're wearing, like, costumes from those pop-up inflatable pumpkin stores around Halloween. Okay. And the dwarves make me want to throw up. I haven't seen anything with elves. Where did you see elves? There were glimpses of them all the way back at BlizzCon. Okay, see, the glimpses, I don't really count the glimpses because it was just, like, 
seeing them for a split second and not seeing them in all of their, you know, actual scene, acting, talking, walking around for longer than a split second. Don't logic me out of complaining, all right? (laughs) For one thing, it's completely pointless. The man's going to complain. It's my job. (laughs) It's all I know. This is what you pay me for. You know, you realize that if if we were like a like a cop movie, like Alex is the grumpy guy at the desk who's constantly demanding we turn in our badges for being rogue cops. In the podcast simulator, he's the one that was assigned all the unhappy face points. <laughs> yes. <laughs> see, it's not uh, my fault. But I actually I I didn't get to see um, Cadgar in the the spot i know he's in one of the spots for like a split second or i think it was called baby cadgar on twitter i I haven't gotten to see him it was young cadgar casting a spell of some kind that kind of made them go and probably teleported them or something i don't know all i know is when i was watching this um i think my wife said something like is that paul of hatton yes i I was like yes that's paul of hatton she's like i'm glad she came back from that horrible album that you recorded about her and i was thinking what if that was an album about corona like, I'm actually imagining the Garona album. It's just named Garona. You stab me in the heart. You literally stab me in the heart. That's my heart. You're cutting out my heart. Could you please stop it? Like, this song isn't very good. I liked the dwarf, though, because I, first off, it was a dwarf. Secondly, the gun was really cool. Third, it looked like they were in Ironforge, and that makes me happy. If, if they show Ironforge in this movie, I will be, like, astonished and, and very interested to see how they do it. Yeah. Because they did an amazing job. I mean, job they could have just been in a dark forge somewhere, generic forge number 142 or whatever, but I I was optimistically thinking, oh, they went to Iron Forge. They did a really good job on Stormwind in terms of like how they, they oh, brought the life in the movie, so I'm, I'd be interested to see what they did with Iron Forge. I'd say something like I'd be interested to see what they did with Orgrimmar, but come on, it's, it shouldn't be there. If there's an Orgrimmar, we've screwed up somewhere significantly. Yeah. I think that the music choice for the trailer was very blatantly we're trying to pull in the people who have never played world of warcraft before <laughs> yeah well i mean it's, it's the marketing for this movie is not any different than the marketing from any other movie right yeah it's just it's interesting like you have, how each trailer is you could tell it's been framed for a particular audience <laughs> you have the trailer with dubstep you have the trailer with the vaguely fantasy medieval sound you have the poster, which they can get away with it because it's Warcraft. It has the red and blue two tones, like every movie trailer poster. And uh, somehow, Corona isn't green in the posters. That so. was weird to me, and I kind of understood it because, to me anyway, if they had made her green, I mean, you've got the red and blue overtones. Making her green would have just stood out like a sore thumb. Um, are they green in the movie or are they brown? She's green. Okay, because most green. most of the other orcs I've seen in this look brownish to me. They're brownish, but they're leaning towards green, and I think probably the way that they're going to address that in the film is that the corruption is kind of starting, but I don't know. I have my own theories about how this movie is going to play out and how it's going to differ from what we've already seen. Yeah, I'm expecting it to be very much like the uh, MCU where it gets all that stuff gets constricted down to make sense in a two-hour movie. Right. Well, I think yeah. part of the reason why they have like an issue with thrall is when thrall is born he is bright green Mm. and and nobody else is yet they're just kind of starting to turn but it's very obvious that he's there's there's a problem there so yeah i don't know maybe that's why she took him away sent him away because they were like "Ooh, kill that it's green or whatever i don't know we'll find it i can't figure out if it's just my familiarity with warcraft that makes me not seem much inspiring in this marketing um like if i didn't know about warcraft would i i see this stuff is also really boring like i'm not seeing anything in these trailers that says hey you should really come see this movie like my i will brother, because my warcraft. brother doesn't play the games at all like he doesn't even he has like a slight passing familiarity with oh there are orcs in this game because every every now and again i'll show him a trailer and go ooh look at this just to see what his okay. impression is as a non warcraft player right yeah. But he kind of wants to see the movie. Okay. Like the latest trailer, the one with the dubstep, all that other. He was like, this doesn't look half bad, actually. So, I mean. Yeah, I was just wondering, like, if I didn't have this familiarity with Warcraft, would I look at these trailers and be like, this is a cheap Lord of the Rings knockoff? Let me put you this is there way. anything that seems to set it apart? 
I don't know. Here's the thing like, in terms of deceptive marketing. I was watching a, a story about a woman who sued the makers of the movie Drive. Have you seen the movie Drive or do you know about it? No. I know about it. Okay. It's um, He's very famous for being dreamy and Canadian. Uh, Ryan, but not Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling made this movie Drive that the advertising made it look like it was an, an action, thrill a minute action movie, kind of like the Transporter movies. It's right. actually a psychological drama. Mm-hmm. And there's very little crime or driving in it, although those are the premises. It's just one of those things where it's more of an examination of a character. A woman got so mad at the advertising, she sued them. Because For false she, advertising? Because she was going in thinking it was a, like Fast and the Furious, and it was. it's not at all. It's these two people who meet at a vulnerable point in their lives and how their lives intersect. And that, to me, sometimes I get that feeling with the, with like the Warcraft ads, just because... I, I'm finding myself going, is this going to be like a slice of life? Like, uh, am I going to end up like learning and, and like feeling? Because I don't want to learn and feel. Uh, I don't want this movie to do that to me. Don't bait and switch me, Warcraft. I'm not saying it is. Well, my brother, for reference, my brother saw the first trailer, the one with the slow music and everything. The one with the jumping, the guy jumps onto the bird. Right. But I mean, that's been in almost every trailer because let's face it, that's a it's fantastic awesome shot. Yeah. <laughs> but no, the first one where where it's like, you know fairly quiet music and all of that and and they're talking about war and And my brother watched that one and he was like that looks like a really boring movie but then he saw the latest trailer with the exciting music and the jump yes and then he was like oh no wait never mind that actually looks interesting okay dubstep trailers work so there you go (laughs) i guess this is actually a good segue then because uh Yesterday, I think Alex wrote the article about the Overwatch short is out. Recall? Yes. Recall. I, <gasps> I, okay. Sorry. Yeah, I sat down and watched it, and uh, I do obviously. I don't. I defy anyone to not think that Baby Winston is cute. Come on, that kid is adorable. Um, I hate that kid. I, you're I, just saying it. Yeah. So you and I'm like, fulfilling my contractual. It's obligation. the frowny faces they've been. No, they just that. As much as I did, I found that adorable, and I actually did like to get to see what the heck Reaper does. Like, I've been wondering for a while, what is Reaper's deal? What does he do? Oh, he breaks apart in the shadow and shoots you. Okay. I kind of now get a fuller sense of what Reaper's, you know, power is. Well, he did is. that in the original cinematic, too. Yeah, but it was harder for me to tell. Yeah. I, I really got a sense of it here. Plus, I mean, we also get a sense that there's some kind of evil Overwatch rival organization out there trying to find them, which you get a little sense of the story behind the game, which I, I had to write a cue thing about it so i was actually interested in that but i have to agree with the basic postulate that this is essentially it's it's very it has very much the feeling of the we've had them for every warcraft expansion the the movie that tells you what's going on in the game sort of thing yeah it definitely felt cinematic. That, yeah it felt like that very much so uh so i want to actually see like Anne, alex i know alex is going to feel that way but Anne, what did you think when you, when you saw it i liked it a lot because hello it's winston and he's my favorite um, but at the same time, I was kind of hoping that maybe we'd hear more about the whole angry gorilla rebellion on the moon base and we didn't get that. And then I was like hoping for that and we didn't get that. But then at the same time, I kind of understand why they didn't go into more of the backstory stuff. It's because the game isn't out yet. So this kind of establishes the premise for the game in so far as Winston is getting the gang back together. This was the, the the short where Winston makes that choice and makes that decision that, yeah, we need to bring these guys back together again. Um, so from that standpoint, I understand that. I just hope that maybe in future editions or comics or graphic novels or what have you, we see some of that backstory because there's a lot of backstory to Overwatch. Yeah, more than I- you'd think. I really feel like the, the, their Overwatch universe could seriously go well beyond the game and grow beyond the game. So to have this short, which I thought was going to kind of stand on its own, it's basically just a launch cinematic for the game. It's a promotional material, and that was disappointing because I don't... I mean, if the subsequent shorts are not that, if they are their own thing and not just cinematics for the game, that'll be great. I just don't want these to become a crutch promotional material for a game where the game has no no story whatsoever. Like just make them their own thing and you can also play the game. See, here's my thing, right? Frankly, I felt this way for a long time and I really feel this way very strongly right now. Um, I want a completely different game set in the Overwatch universe. Oh yeah. yeah. I, I don't 
Not that I have any problem with Overwatch existing as a game. Like, that's not my, my issue at all. I'm totally down with it. You feel free to have your team shooter. That's cool. Um, if Team Fortress 2 shows us anything, you can have a team shooter that has, like, all sorts of weird bits in the background. And that's fine. Uh, more power to you. But I'm not a real big team shooter person. That is not a kind of game I play. However, I'm fascinated by the setting. I, I, I would, you know, do the thing that you've never done for Diablo. Make the immersive single-player role-playing game that you've never actually made. Make a Dragon teased. Age out of it. Make a Mass make, Effect out of it. Make a Skyrim, whatever. Make, yeah. Make something like Bioshock, which is still a shooter. Yeah. Bioshock is still a shooter, but there's tons of story in Bioshock. I think it's time. I mean, this is one of the things that like Blizzard hasn't done. They've done a lot of stuff. They've never stuck their foot fully into a high-story game. And, where the and story they could. They, they could. They could. Blizzard has always done this weird thing where they, on one hand, they want to tell this really deep, rich story, but on the other, they pick game genres that don't lend themselves to storytelling very well. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, oh, no. none, none of their major titles are in a genre where like it's easy to tell the kind of in-depth story. No, I'd the like to see them. Yeah. yeah, I'd like to see them develop a title or maybe like a trilogy of titles or whatever, where it's like one overarching story that has a beginning, middle, and an end to it where it ends there is a definitive end to it and i think rather than them coming closer to doing these single player rpgs or single player shooters whatever they've moved further away from that Mm -hmm, Uh, they launched hearthstone which doesn't really have a narrative except for like the little adventure packs have kind of like a goofy narrative uh they have heroes of the storm which Which doesn't has has an anti-narrative and because of the way it's specifically right yeah and overwatch where they created the shooter and they specifically did not put the story in the game. What I find They're fascinating moving away from narrative titles. What I find fascinating though is that if in the future they wanted to release some kind of World of Overwatch title where it's like an MMO type thing, they could do that and completely in- eliminate the PvP element from the MMO because it already exists in the team shooter. Yeah, I just it's a different I title. But I don't, see, no. I don't want them to do it as an MMO. I would like to see that single-player RPG-like story-driven game. I think that would be really fun. Yeah, I I, I think there's lots of reasons why an MMO is probably not the right move right now. I'm going to just no. come out and say that I don't think the MMO market will yeah, support it. No. no. Like, straight up. So, I don't know. But yeah, all, all of their game universes have seemed ripe for single-player narrative titles. They've just this never done it. This one in particular, though, it's like they've got all of these little hints and pieces and bits of backstory. And I mean, I've been piecing them together in Know Your Lore. This is why I've been kind of focusing on Overwatch for Know Your Lore, like for the past several weeks, is just because there's so much backstory in between all of the character descriptions and the map descriptions and all this other stuff and the stuff that's presented on the website, like it's all there, but it hasn't been pieced together coherently. So I'm trying to do that. And there's a lot of story there. <laughs> there's a lot of really compelling story there for them to play with. So yeah, yeah. Um, I've been delved into that, but it didn't. Yeah. I've been playing uh, Star- through Starcraft two recently. The, the installments in Starcraft two, I haven't played part of the swarm and legacy of the void. Yeah. And it strikes me like I do love this game world. It's great. Um, it's clear. They made a competitive RTS game first. Yeah. And they just oh, kind yeah. of put a story into an RTS. It doesn't really work so well. It, um, it's kind of burdened with itself. <laughs> it's not. It's not for that. Um, Honestly, I really wish they would make the single player. I've always felt. Straight I've RPGs. always. Yeah, I've always felt like StarCraft could have done an amazing job of being. Do you remember when you first like? I don't know if you actually played the game, but if you ever played Knights of the Old Republic or you know Knights of the Old Republic two. Uh, the first thing I thought when I played that game was you could have done this kind of thing, this radial hub thing where you go places, explore the world, see what it's all about. You could have done that in StarCraft so easily. And yeah. it would have been a it would have been a damn good story because there's a lot in StarCraft. And StarCraft is much less afraid to shake up its status quo. Like this is one of the problems I have with games is when they're afraid to shake up their status quo, when they're afraid to have things change. Um, that bugs the heck out of me. We have someone in the chat channel asking a question, and it's probably a good question here. Qualen says, do you think that the StarCraft II single-player episodes they're releasing may be them sticking a toe into the genre using the established engine? Well, I mean, there are single-player campaigns for StarCraft II, but my just the fundamental problem with them is I don't think the RTS genre works for that kind of storytelling. Yeah. Um, the storytelling that they do in their games is very light. 
and and kind of burdened by you needing to play an RTS. Uh, for the Nova missions, we don't know how they play yet. It's not available. Um, is it? Are you just going to be controlling Nova the whole time? Are you going to have a mission or two where you're controlling just Nova and then it's back to base building? Uh, we haven't played it. The whole yeah. base building aspect of a lot of these story missions, it's like, well, did I really need to build an entire space colony for this? There's a couple of different genres that they could jump into that they haven't yet. I, the single-player RPG, that that's one of those ones where I'm surprised, I'm honestly surprised that they haven't done that yet. I think they thought that Diablo was that. But it's, it's not. It's, it's, it is that in that it is a single-player RPG, but it is not story-driven. It's just not... It's very much. It doesn't have the scope. They don't, it's, a dungeon, they don't, it's a dungeon crawl. It's a dungeon yeah. crawl with some story stuff sprinkled on it. You know, yeah. it, it's like a donut with some sprinkles. You're not actually eating a giant sprinkle. You're eating some sprinkles on a donut. I don't. And, almost... and I think they've talked about this before, where you know they will iterate and iterate and iterate and make changes to content and gameplay and just the flow of levels right up until the game's release. Um, they don't do that with their story. No. Um, when they're changing levels and just fundamentally reorganizing the flow of you know quests and missions and how things happen through gameplay, and they don't pay as much attention to the story, they are fundamentally making a game that is not driven by its narrative. The narrative suffers because they're not adjusting that as they adjust the gameplay. The, the other games that I would like to see out of them, I would love to see Pet Battling on mobile. I yeah. don't know why it's not. <laughs> It's one of those things that could be easily configured into a mobile game, and it wouldn't necessarily have to be in conjunction with World of Warcraft. It could be like its own thing, because um, all yeah, those very little critters like that Hearthstone they have are is, yeah. cute, you know. Um, and then having having dipped my toe into Stardew Valley last night, I would love to see a game like that framed around Half Hill. Like, huh. take the farm stuff that you did in Missa Pandaria and actually blow it up into a simulation-style game with the friends and all of that. They started to do that with Half-Hill and, and with that whole reputation grind out there where you got gifts for people and you gave them to people. Why not make that a little bit bigger and make it its own title? And, and since I'm, I, I've been allowed to talk about StarCraft II today... Um, yes. I want to point out how tedious... The campaign is when every single mission is basically a mini tutorial for every single mission. They give you a new unit that you can make. And the level is designed to be a tutorial for using that unit from beginning to end. You are learning how to use one unit at a time. And in some games, introducing a new element, every level is awesome. Like the Mario games do that really well. But what the Mario games don't do is make you go through a tutorial of how to jump or run or whatever. They, they just, maybe they'll show you the key command and they say go. Um, StarCraft yeah. gives you this long, drawn-out mission for every single unit for creating it and how to use it. And then once you've learned how to use it, the mission is over. You go to the next mission, you get a new unit, you do it all over again. So Heart of the Swarm feels like an endless tutorial. We're kind of getting off topic. I was going to say though, this is the so. week. Where I've, this is the week where I've completely lost it. Uh, Alex, <laughs> is, Alex is running amok, and I have just failed to stop it. <laughs> so we're going to move on to emails at this point. Uh, if you have an email for the show, please send it to uh, podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Uh, we like to get emails on pretty much every topic, and we talk about whatever we can. So please feel free to send us any questions you have about any Blizzard game at any time. Uh, first email. Um, I can't actually, I'm going to have to bring you down to the bottom of this. Okay, it's from Elemente again. Hey, Elemente. He writes this quite a bit. Oh, there's three questions here. Maybe yeah. Should just go one, two, three? Yeah. We'll break through them, but... Okay. Uh, I often find myself wondering about the nature of magic in fantasy universes like Warcraft. There are hints about how magic works in Warcraft lore. It has a certain logic to it that can be learned throughout books and practice, but nothing specific is explained about what has happened when, you know, what happened when the incantations and gesticulations are used uh, or what exactly mages do when casting spells other than imagining what they uh, want to happen and they can, you know, concentrating it hard enough to until it does. My questions are the following one. Do you think that it is theoretically possible to explain how magic works? Do you know of any other fantasy universes that attempted to do this? By explain, I mean answering the questions of you know how and why for as far as possible. Well, I'm going to say first up, Terry Goodkind has made a bloody career. Yeah. 
out of explaining how magic works. Brand, that's, and that's Brandon Sanderson's shtick. Yeah. Every series has a new, extremely intricate magic system that he explains in great detail with its internal logic and everything. And it's kind of crazy because he has so many series ongoing at once, and all yeah. of them have a completely distinct magic system. So the thing is, is I mean, I was actually interested in this question because one of the things I do is if you've read read the books I write, I tend to like pick through real real world stuff and come up with crazy ideas for it. But one of my favorite books is a book called Stolen Lightning, The Social Theory of Magic. It's by Daniel Lawrence O'Keefe. If you know nothing else about Daniel Lawrence O'Keefe, know this. His son was a writer for Seinfeld. (laughs) Wow. The Festivus episode is based on a real thing that this man did. Yep. Festivus was created by Daniel Lawrence O'Keefe as a family thing because he was like, screw the established holidays. They're all both pirate ghosts. But anyway, we're just going to have this thing I made up and that'll be just as good. So the whole test of strength, all of that, that's this guy created it. Uh, the reason he did that was because one of the postulates of this book is that magic is as much social as it is anything else. We have magic systems to serve as a safety valve when we didn't understand things. When, when humanity doesn't understand something, it creates a stress reaction. People who don't know what's going on get stressed. Stress reacts differently in groups, just like everything else when, with groups of people. Uh, groups of people react to stimuli in very specific ways. Another interesting book is called the uh, by Charles McKay called The you know, Extraordinary Delusions and the Popular Madness of Crowds. And the, the thing that we're talking about here is basically that magic, magic is inherently consistent because it exists to explicate the unexplained. Uh, the origin of the word magic is the magi, uh, the Persian high priests who are actually Medes, but that's not beside the That origin is from the, it's the idea of my magic as an explanation system. It's essentially very primitive science. So that's how it developed in the linguistically in terms of our world. In terms of fantasy worlds, it can be as elaborate or as non-elaborate as the author wants. Uh, for instance, the Gormenghast books, what magic there is, is basically just explained as strange things that happen. And you just go along with it. That's just what it is. Whereas Alex just mentioned Sanderson, who will rigidly explain everything. Or Terry Goodkind, again, who, who comes up with a new rule and has a whole book for it. You know, I got a whole book about that first rule. Or um, um, Stephen R. Donaldson, who, who does does that very much in his books. Yeah, and, um, um, and, and you know, sometimes and it really it, it varies from world to world and reader preferences. Uh, some people don't like the books that explain the magic system in intimate detail. They don't want those, that much details. They just want cool stuff to happen. But then you have the readers who are like, I want this to be logically, internally consistent. And they will enjoy the kind of magic systems that Sanderson creates. Uh, you have things in between, like the Dresden Files, where it's like, yeah, we're kind of going to put some rules on magic, but we're going to leave room for just cool stuff to happen that's kind of random. Honestly, the best internal consistent explanation for magic I've ever seen uh, is Terry Pratchett's. Yeah. You actually go back and read Terry Pratchett. And you have to read a lot of it, mind you. Because it has to go to unseen. So many books. But in the end, if you really like pay attention, he's got a very he's got a very logical and consistent, you know, rule set to how magic works. In that it doesn't. Magic doesn't work. <laughs> magic is terrible. <laughs> magic does things, but oh my god, you know, do you think that the librarian wanted to be a a, a, a chimpanzee? No. He's he's learned to deal with it, but he didn't want to be a chimpanzee. Nobody wanted that that you know arm water. Sorry, orangutan. My apologies. <laughs> See, that's exactly my point. Um, there's so it, it does very very much on um, you know the, the the creators of it. And the thing with World of Warcraft is the magic system has evolved as the games have evolved. Yeah. You know, like we started out in Warcraft One, where it was just like okay, and these guys cast spells. I think if Warcraft was a series of novels written by one person or a few people, I think it would probably have an internally consistent magic. Um, Now that it has evolved to World of Warcraft, where there's tons of people working on this thing and writing for this thing, and everybody wants to come up with cool NPCs or cool bosses or give players cool spells, um, they ignore that consistency just for the sake of coolness. Um, it bothers me sometimes because I kind of like having that logic and having those systems, but I've kind of accepted that Warcraft at this point in its lifetime is just going to do what they want to do, yeah, even if I it always, doesn't necessarily make sense. I always find the idea to impose a logical consistency on a force that is essentially exists to explain the unexplainable to be both pointless and a little childish, but that's just me. That's one why the, I don't like Sanderson. 
one of the places or one of the book series I read when I was younger where I liked the explanation for magic was um, Christopher Stashev. He did the Warlock series of books. And this world where everybody thought witches and warlocks were real things, it was later revealed that, no, it wasn't really witches or warlocks. It was all telekinesis and telekinetic powers and things like that. Yeah. And, like, he pulled this sci-fi element into it, and I'm like, oh, okay, that works. Uh, <laughs> honestly, what's, the, what's nice like, about it? Witch Mountain. Well, Go ahead. No, I'm just saying it's just like the Witch Mountain, the original book, Witch Mountain, Escape to yeah. Witch Mountain. Yeah. Which yeah. is one of my favorite books as a kid. Just reacting to you not being a fan of uh, explaining systems. I think it it serves a purpose when it's not just when information it for the sake plot, of information. When it creates plot and story, I'm fine with it. Right, exactly. And that's it. And, and that's really the thing. It's like, okay, if you explain what this magic can do and what its limitations are, and the characters are aware of this, and they play off of that, and it plays a role into the story and how people act and react and the, how the plot unfolds, The problem like, that's is, awesome. Yeah. The problem is when you get a David Eddings book out of it. <laughs> yeah. I, and I like David Eddings fine. I've read David Eddings a lot. But let's be honest. David Eddings puts rules into his magic just so he can pull some ridiculous BS out in like two books. And, and you're like, what? And I guess the other two questions that he has here kind of tie into what we were already talking about. So Yeah. The thing about knowing, not exactly, yes. I'm just going to read them real fast so people know what we just didn't talk about. Do you think that not knowing what exactly happens, like, you know, the whole point of magic, is it as simple as, you know, imposing, you know, or one's will on a something? I can't read even will today. Something uh, to happen? If so, then what are all the books on magic, you know, for? Are they actually filler with rules and, you know, regulations on various spells? Uh, And if magic is, by definition, unexplainable... Doesn't this, you know, create a paradox of fictional characters knowing how to do something that we that is impossible to know? Uh, no and no. Um, basically, the pro this is all plot. Yeah. Magic systems in in you know games. This isn't real. It's fictional narrative rules. So, it is Alex just pointed out. If if the, if you have a detailed orderly magic system that you then use narratively, then that's what it's for. The, the rules are there for narrative. If you just want to have warlocks in your game so they can, you know, summon demons and blow stuff up, there you go. That's, yeah, that's it's, Warcraft. It's a general world-building rule, too. I mean, you can, if you're sitting down to write a novel and you've built this amazing world and you start dumping information about this world, um, is any of it actually relevant to your story? Uh, if yes, okay, talk about it. If no... Is it important? Does it need to be there? Um, okay, if you really want to point out what kind of tea your protagonist drinks, great. Do you need to talk about every blend of tea in the world? No. The magic's the same. If the rules are relevant, tell them. If they're not, it's not important. It doesn't hurt. You, you as the creator might want to know it, but it doesn't necessarily follow that the the readers or the players need to see it yeah and i mean as far as all of the books on magic in game some of them are spells some of them are like incantations for summoning things some of them are yes rules and regulations about here's everything about necromancy that you should absolutely never do and Kelsey loved that book. Yeah, that's his favorite book. <laughs> and that's the thing with Warcraft is every conceivable kind of magic exists somewhere. You've got, you know, the raw. I'm going to throw fire because I'm very angry and have mana. And then you have the I have to speak an incantation to do something complex, or I have to make a magic potion, or I can raise the dead. I can make air dragons. It's Warcraft has all of it, and all of it would have its own way of functioning. It's like a giant mishmash of stuff. Rossi, did you want me to read the next email, or you got it? Rossi? Hello? Oh, I muted myself. You talk. <laughs> <laughs> They're talking. I got a cough. I was muting. No, I'm good. Um, okay. Greetings, Watchmen and Watchwomen again. I'll keep it short. How much of Chronicle and the uh, backstory of the Warcraft universe was meticulously planned out years in advance and how much has been written, you know, retrospectively to fit around, you know, game design. Uh, I'm sure it doesn't matter either way. It's just fun to speculate from a, you know, writing point of view. Uh, thoughts, uh, Sevitar, blood elf rogue, uh, not a Pokemon. Well, Sevitar, if you ever decide to be a Pokemon, you got a name, man. No kidding. More power to you. Yeah. But, uh, this kind of fits into what we were just talking about. So it's, it's kind of like I did that on purpose, but I totally didn't. Um, and that's actually kind of what my answer was going to be. In that, if you go back to Warcraft 1, it is 
abundantly clear that they had no idea where they were going. It wasn't until really Warcraft 3 that that story started being shaped beyond the simple good guy versus bad guy thing. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, totally. And honestly, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, what's interesting about this, you know, when you say how much of it was meticulously planned out years in advance, how much has been written to fit around game design. That's exactly what we do when we do our tinfoil hat stuff is we look at all of the existing stuff that's there and then point out how it could be connected, like the various ways in which it could logically be connected just based on existing material as it stands. And And I have a feeling that's kind of what they did with this was they looked at everything and said, okay, what's the explanation here? And some things they had an explanation for way back when some things they might have not might not have had an explanation for, but there's only so many explanations that fit. Mm-hmm. So they just picked one, you know? And also, I mean, keep in mind with a game is long lasting and a game setting is long lasting at this point, years in advance at this point is still, you know, crafted to fit retrospectively. Yeah. Because if you're, if they started coming up with stuff back in wrath, well, that was, it would still be years, years ago. ago. <laughs> so I, I think it's a lot like what, what Alex said before about, you know, they have multiple people working on it, coming up with things and the Blizzard's attitude has always been gameplay trumps story to a degree. So if they come up yeah. with something they think is really cool, they're going to stick it in, and then they're just going to like make some poor sucker come up with a way to explain it. Yeah. It's, yeah, I think, I think they have... Go ahead. I think no. their attitude, general attitude with it is we don't define it unless we absolutely have to. And Chronicle was a case where they had to because that was going to make a compelling book, and it did. Go ahead, Alex. I'm sorry. Yeah. I think they have always, not always, since probably Warcraft 3 or early World of Warcraft, uh, certainly before Vanilla, they've had these very broad strokes about the world, like, what are the old gods? What role do they play? What role do the Titans play? Um, Everything in between that, they kind of make it up as they go, and eventually they get to another one of these big things that they had established. Like, what is this old god? Oh, after 10 years, maybe we're going to see it. But everything in between there, they kind of do it as they go along. And so maybe sometimes it logically leads into that broad stroke. And sometimes you end up with a plot that's really weird or things that don't really fit because they weren't thinking about it that much. They just have those broad strokes they established and everything in between is a mess. Having said that, though, Chronicle did a really good job of like filling in the blank spaces between those broad strokes in a logical kind of way. What interested me about Chronicle the most, and I've, you know, I still find him interesting about it, is um, how much they deliberately still have not actually talked about. Oh yeah. And part it of that doesn't because, answer every question under no. the sun. It doesn't come close because I mean, it's a 200-page book. I think really, it's less than that. I but think it raises more questions than it answers, but that's really, the good part about it. You know, they're talking. They're talking 10,000 years of history, more more than 10,000 years. But let's just say 10,000 years of history. I think it's closer to like 20,000 years of history. But yeah, in that amount of time, you know, you get whole epochs of like thousands of years pass in a couple pages because that's all the pages we've got for them. So stuff is fleshed out, stuff is answered, and stuff is made more consistent. But at the same time, there's a lot that there's a lot of room and a lot of stuff that doesn't get explained. And I think that's one of the strengths of the setting is it has room to grow and expand. And it, it's there's a, like there's an old um, style of art, uh, the grotesque. Yeah. And I'm actually talking about the style of art, not the um, you know the word grotesque, which just means you know deformed or horrible or monstrous, but the actual style, the baroque, almost super intricate overlaying of yeah. things, and that's what's fascinating to me about how when you have this many people working on a game property, how it can it can build up these patterns that get very elaborate. Like, you know, the whole idea of like, layers upon layers at this point, you've got the the whole concept of like how many races did the Titans make? A lot of them. Tons. The the Titans have covered Azeroth in in construct races. Uh, Azeroth is very literally a planet of golems that all decided they were going to be people. So that it's in of itself is fascinating to me. There's, there's a lot of stuff to that. It definitely has the feel of, I think someone, someone said it in a question in the queue the other day. Someone's like, this feels like when I'm a DM and I have to explain to my players how all the stuff they just went through makes sense. Yeah, a little bit. And it does have that feel to it. So I'm going to just say that, yes, there is a certain amount of that in this game. Uh, next question is from Satori the Squishy Panda. 
uh, Kalistra's Oceana. Um, so just an Oceanic server. I like to play with Oceanic server people because you're usually very nice. I don't know why, you know, but that's my been in my experience. Uh, dear Blizzard Watchers, I'm hoping you can help me with a tank question or at least point me in the right direction for answers. Uh, you see, I find my, my brewmaster uh, un- unaccountably squishy. I'm at level 86 right now uh, in full agility heirlooms uh, gear, wielding the BOA archaeology um, item Spear of Yuzuan. So my gear seems fine. I use my I use guard as often as I can, elusive brew when I can't, and purifying brew whenever I've got you know stagger damage. I think I'm doing everything right, and yet I squish so badly, and it's making it difficult or impossible to tank dungeons with, uh, without without uh, healers uh, complaining about my how squishy I am. Uh, am I missing something um, obvious? Is this just an, a phase brewmasters go through uh, on the way to max level? I certainly didn't uh, have this problem when I was leveling with my protection paladin. Uh, sincerely, Satori. Uh, I'm going to tell you that something that I've noticed. I, I talked to Kim, who's our monk writer. I've talked to her a few times about this. Once they start getting up past around level 70 to 80, apparently brewmaster monks start getting squishy compared to other tanks. And it's a problem until they're in like, you know, at the time, like right now, level, end game is level 100. Until you're like in full endgame gear, like you're actually seriously going. Apparently, this is a consistent issue. Uh, I don't know how bad it is for other players. Um, I didn't feel squishy, but I stopped playing my monk around mid 60s, so I can't really address it more than that. Uh, I do know that you know Kim has written about it uh, on our site. So if you go to if you go to Blizzard Watch and look up the monk column, whose name is it Spiritual Guidance? Is that what it's called? What? No, that was no. The... Zen Mastery. Zen Mastery. Okay. Zen Meditation. Then meditation. See, we eventually got to the right name. Um, <laughs> if you go look at that, I know she's written about the uh, the issues for pal- for uh, brewmaster panda, uh, brewmaster monks. I keep saying brewmaster pandas in my head, but I didn't even play a panda in monk. So, uh, yeah, I definitely. I think part of the problem is is that monks are really really strong at low levels. So there's definitely a feeling of drop off once you start getting above a certain point. But there is also like straight up the the style of tanking on a monk is a little difficult to keep going. Like there's that, as you point out, you have to use guard constantly. Then you have to use you know, elusive brew a lot. There's that other brew that I'm forgetting. It's not uh, purifying brew either. There's another brew that you're supposed to be using. And then there's you know the stagger mechanic in of itself kind of it requires managing. So yeah, there's there's a lot to do to keep yourself up uh, more so than hold threat. So yeah, I'm gonna recommend you do, you go. You read her column and see what he, she has to say on the subject. I know she talked about it. Either you, I don't think either of you would really have anything to say here. But um, I've never played a monk ever. Yeah, I've never played a monk. But what I know is, uh, just general scaling while leveling is weird and affects different classes differently. Um, some classes feel like they get ridiculously powerful very quickly. Uh, some feel like they start unstoppable and it's just all downhill from there. Uh, just leveling just feels weird and it all seemed to just fall back into place at max level, which kind of sucks because you want to play before max level sometimes. Um, that's just how the they chat. do it. See all in the chat channel says it's the lack of mastery on gear. Yeah, that would make sense because there's no mastery on heirlooms and there's very little mastery on any gear until you hit, um, cataclysm content, I think, cause that's, that's the expansion that mastery came in, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. yeah, you you won't get a lot of mastery gear until you start hitting cataclysm content, and even then, it's not on a ton of greens. It, so yeah, you don't see a lot of it. That could certainly be a problem. Uh, I'm gonna say this. Uh, this is my mandatory dig at paladins. Leveling a protection paladin <laughs> is gonna ruin you for other tanks because protection paladins are just Bleh, don't gotta do nothing. Everything easy threat, easy survival, nothing. You know, it's Bleh, Bleh. there. That's my dig on paladins for the week. Yeah. Back in my day. If I said that, you know how much trouble I would get in? People actually want me to say negative things about Paladins. I don't even have a real dig at him. I don't just, just like, oh, he hates Paladins. So there you go. Honestly, if I, if I were going to level my Paladin again, I would level it Prot. I leveled it Rhett, and oh my god, do I regret that. So yeah. Um, How close are we going? Oh, we're getting Okay, another email. This one is from Onderoth, um, Fizzcrank US. I didn't know there was a server named Fizzcrank. I'm going to go yeah, roll on that. Yeah, that sounds like a real server. I, I take your word for it. I'm going to go look for it later. And Actually, I can't put a character on it because my account is full. Maybe you don't <laughs> need 33 warriors. I do. I really do. 
I need 33 warriors. You know why I need 33 warriors? To play dress up? Exactly. That is why. <laughs> I have I I have one of every race and class every race combination and every gender. So I've got two for every race. That's 20 right there. Oh, and then boy. I have then I have duplicates like I've got like three or four Draenei warriors because you know Draenei. A couple of night elves, a couple of blood elves. I've got like three forsaken warriors. Um, <laughs> this is going to sidetrack, so we're going to get on to the actual email now. But um, greetings, Blizzard Watch. Like Rossi and Anne, I'm a bit of a Warcraft fiction junkie. I have read and uh, reread most of the novels and short stories and have always enjoyed them. I have heard several times on both uh, podcasts, Rossi and Joe and even Alex list off some of their favorite works. One in particular, though, I have never heard I have never heard mentioned and which happens to be my favorite is Metzins of Blood and Honor. Uh, personally, I've always loved the grizzled veteran just past their prime archetype, and Tyrion and Atreg, uh, you know, fit that mold very well. Uh, the story as fit that mold very well in the story. As I've never heard anyone mention it on your shows, I'd really, I'd really just like to know what you think about this short story and Warcraft fiction uh, as Warcraft fiction aficionados. Uh, also, as I love of Blood and Honor so much, it's always bummed me out that uh, Tyrion got so much attention toward, but Itreg has essentially been left in Orgrimmar to do nothing. Uh, are there any other characters uh, created in Warcraft novels, uh, stories, or comics that you think didn't get enough attention? Uh, thanks very much, Underoth. I'll let you guys go first, because I have specific thoughts about this. Have go you ahead, read Anne. this one, Alex? I read it a very long time ago, as in, like, when I... Doesn't Of Blood and Honor predate World of Warcraft? Yes, it does. Oh, yeah, very much. So I think I probably read it in 2004, 2005. Okay. Um, I like that short story, and I think the reason that I like that short story, though, it isn't the story itself, which is interesting in its own way. It's how it ties into World of Warcraft, particularly vanilla. Um, this pretty much sets up Tyrion's story as we see it in World of Warcraft when we find him as that hermit living out on the coast over in the eastern Plaguelands and you have to go get him his lovely maggots for sandwiches or whatever he does with them. I don't know. It's gross. But that whole that whole quest chain where you take Tyrion from this hermit back to this triumphant member of the uh, Argent Dawn, as far as that goes, that whole quest chain was one of my favorites in Vanilla. So... I really appreciated the story because it was kind of like the precursor. It's like, well, why is this hermit living out in the middle of nowhere? There's got to be more to that story than that. I mean, there's got to be more there. And there was. There was a lot more there. Um, Etrig, I, I kind of wish they'd done more with Etrig. I mean, I was glad to see him in the game, but he didn't really – there wasn't much to him there. Honestly, I'm going to say this. Um, I think Etrig dodged a bullet. Yeah, probably. By not being as popular. Because Tyrion's story went, it went from <sighs> in vanilla going to someplace really cool, going to someplace slightly cooler in Wrath, to all of a sudden, whoa, Tyrion just went way overboard, you know, towards the end of Wrath. And, yeah. yeah. Honestly, I mean, uh, part of my problem, I'm, as terms of the story itself, do I like the story? Yes, I like the story. Um, I actually really like the idea that, you know, paladins can disagree on what good is, on what the light wants. And they can even take action thinking that they know what's right and be wrong. Uh, I liked that very much. I liked that Tyrion, for all that they tried to cut Tyrion off from the light, they couldn't because the light makes that decision, not them. And that was a good, it's a good element. The story itself, these two characters both realizing there's stuff to like about the other side. That, you know, in war, it's not all just about right and wrong. There's a lot to the story that's interesting and, and worth reading about. But... Tyrion in WoW itself, after I'm pretty much on board with everything Anne just said about his story in terms of the original bit of it. Like I, I, I remember getting like chills when I finally got Talon, yeah, to that place, and he gets jumped by the Scarlet Crusade, and it's it's ten years ago. He gets killed. Um, yeah. I feel like I'm spoiling it. I'm like this, this quest came out to like twelve. Years. Isn't it's not the even game in the anymore. game anymore. Yeah. So you might as well. Yeah, basically you, you get Tyrion's stuff. You, Tyrion sends you to get these various items. You get them. You bring them to his son, Talon, of the note saying, look, you know, your father is still alive and he wants to talk to you. And Talon, who's uh, – Talon's a big deal in the Scarlet Crusade. He is in charge of Hearth Glen for the Scarlet Crusade. It's it's a major center of crusade power. 
It's one of the places that uh, High General Abendis died at. It's how Brigitte Abendis became High General as her father died defending Hearthglen from the Scourge. It's a huge deal. Talon is not supposed to go out to this meeting. He's not supposed to go see his father, but he, he's like, all right, I'll come see him. Uh, I will I will do that. You, you tell him I'll meet him at this tower. And you, you take him there, and horrible events transpire. And Tyrion is like, you know, driven, you know, crazy with you know, grief. And he's like, I'm going to... I'm going to kill them and I'm going to fix this. We're going to, we're going to fix the silver hand and we're going to, and it's like, you know, it's this great moment. And even in wrath up at first, it looked like Tyrion was kind of going to fill that role. The uh, fact certainly that he brought him in and he made the whole, like the Argent crusade, crusade. Out, yeah. of, out of all of this. And, you know, they were working directly against the Scarlet onslaught, all of that part. That part was cool. Yeah. The, the, the death Knight starters on Tyrion was fine. The for that for me personally, just because my personal, the, my favorite things, I thought the Argent Dawn was super cool. I thought they were awesome. Playing early World of Warcraft, I was like, yeah, I want to be one of those guys. They're amazing. They're just going around kicking evil's butt. Yeah. And then Tyrion shows up. It's like, there's no Argent Dawn anymore. It's like, wait, what? Don't take away their cool tabard. Don't make this them this other dumb thing. Let me I have my have Argent that Dawn. <laughs> No, so see, as soon as he got rid of the Argent Dawn, I was like, all right, I hate this guy now. See, I didn't, I didn't have a problem with that because the Argent Dawn never did squat but stand there around a bunch of rotting old buildings having me collect Scourge Stones so I could go kill things. Thanks, guys. They were jerks. No, they, anyway, were, they, no, they, they fought at the Dark Portal for Burning Crusade. Eh. They're in a few of the Kalimdor dungeons. So eh. they're on both continents out fighting stuff. They very rarely out fighting stuff. Most of the time I had to go kill it and bring it back to them. Anyway... That's not, Which not, faction in World of Warcraft doesn't have you out killing and, stuff? And I think they're mostly jerks. Uh, but <laughs> that's, that's beside the point. The, the real point, though, is for me, Tyrion started, I don't want to say overexposed, but I can't think of a better word for what happened to him. It, when, you ha- when, you, when you see him at the beginning of Wrath and you go to the Borean Tundra and he send, he's in disguise and they send you off to, uh, to acquire an artifact for him. And it turns out to be the Ashbringer, and he had some other guy carrying it. I'm like, I'm sorry, you just got the Ashbringer. Why and are you handing some, that off to someone why, else? Why is some kid carrying that? To, you carry it and use it. Swing it at people if they try and take it from you. That's the whole point of this freaking sword. Uh, that that for me started. Then we got to uh, the exact moment where I was mad at Tyrion and I never forgave him is when you go to Trial of the Crusade and a warlock comes out to summon a demon. And summons an obviously way more powerful demon, and we have to kill it. This is the Jaraxxus fight. Which Tyrion told him to do to begin yeah, with. that's Summon bad enough. But after I kill Jaraxxus, Tyrion's exact words are, alas, they are victorious. And I've, yeah. I've never gotten past this. He's, alas, you're, they are victorious means, oh, well, uh, they're victorious. Uh, oh, dang. I really wish these guys would have died. See, do oh, you want to oh. know? Do you want to know when I started to question Tyrion Fordring? Because it was before that. Okay, go for it. When he started making a giant, you know. No, it was before that. Okay. During the leveling experience, when you're going through Ice Crown, there's this quest that you do where you're trying to find the heart of the Lich King. And it's supposedly the last remnant of Arthas, the thing that he like excised from himself so that he could fully embrace this whole Lich King thing without being worried about such trivial things like consciences. And um, there's it, you work through the zone to this through the through the series of quests, and the the pinnacle of all of this is you get to this cathedral where Tyrion is. He, he comes waltzing in and you found the heart and he looks at it and he just destroys it. Like someone mentioned something about, well, if we take it back to the mages or whatever, maybe they could purify this thing or do something with it. And he's like, nope, there's nothing left of Arthas. So just like axes it. <laughs> it completely eliminates any chance of redemption for the Lich King whatsoever. <laughs> like any, any chance of Arthas, any chance of Jaina being happy, any, ch- any chance of any of that. He just like, nips it in the bud and to me i was like wait why are you why did you take that role why did you do that why did you why did you just assume that nothing could be done to improve this situation like you just you just made a choice that could have doomed everyone on northern and you're sitting here trying to defeat this guy 
my favorite Tyrion moment is not really okay. a character I just, moment. I want you to let you say this, but I'm just going to say that at this point, I think we've established why we don't talk about of blood and honor very much. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But so, Alex, go ahead with no, your no, thing. No, no, go. I do it's want. It's not to... really a Tyrion thing. It's like a developer thing. But after you defeat the raid, uh, Trial of the Crusader, or whatever it's called, the raid zone, unnormal. Yeah. You've fallen through the ground, and apparently Tyrion didn't anticipate that the scourge might show up in Ice Crown. I don't know. Uh, that he was completely oblivious to this, but you beat the raid and he's down there underground with you. He's like, Oh, if you really want to be a hero, do this on heroic mode. He completely You're breaks a character, character in the game. You can't tell me this. You can't break the fourth wall. You can't tell me to redo this fight on heroic. The ground fell out. Yeah. There's no ground anymore. That's actually, that's not the worst part, though. The worst part was that my raid group then conceded to do exactly that. Four times a week. Yes. I, so, twice in one night we did. We did it on normal and heroic every bloody Tuesday. Oh, so for those wondering, um, just to wrap this up, uh, if you've never read A Blood and Honor and you're wondering where to get it, you can't get it as a standalone book. It doesn't exist as a standalone book. It's part of the World of Warcraft archive. Um, it's I think it's just it's called the Warcraft archive. But it, it's in a book. A bl- there's A Blood of Honor. Um, the Last Guardian, which is excellent, and I recommend everybody read that. Lord of the Clans, which is Thrall's story, and then uh, Day of the Dragon. All four of those books are in one volume. And I think it's yeah. like, I don't know, 12 bucks or something on Amazon for a paperback. It's massive. That's really weird that it's you can't just get it on its own anymore. Well, it's a novella. It's not really the size of like a full book. I own the paper copy. Yeah, yeah, but it's very small. It's like short, and I guess and they it's, just decided. It's 2016. It can be an ebook. Yeah, I'm surprised that they haven't released it in ebook format. Apparently, they haven't. I I just found um on YouTube. Uh-huh. Somebody apparently put like someone reading of Blood and Honor on YouTube. Wow. Uh, I'm not telling you which one because I'm pretty sure it's going to get taken down. Yeah. But I just there's people out there reading it on YouTube. So if you really want to find it, just Google it. It's a good story, though, and I do recommend, like, reading it just to read about Tyrion's origins. I think, you know, the biggest thing that that I – why I don't talk about it as much is because, like I said, I kind of am disappointed by the direction Tyrion Fordring went in. Yeah. Uh, Especially after Wrath where he turned into, you know, I'm just going to hang out up here in Hearthglen and do nothing. Which is a huge megalomaniac. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm not – Look, the guy wanted to retire. He's allowed. Not when you're carrying an artifact around. <laughs> How many statues does one guy need? Apparently a lot, yeah. I mean, Varian got crap for having, like, the one. No, he actually sure, had a very big statue. There. He had the one big statue put in in Stormwind, but he also has that one of him in, uh, not Borean Tundra, the other spot. Howling. No, it is in Borean Tundra. It is Borean Tundra. It's in yeah. Valgard. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's in Valgard, yeah. So he, he does have two, but you're right. Tyrion has several. And one of them's made out of gold. One is solid gold in the middle of Dolor. <laughs> and, and the best part about that one was that he was told no one must ever know what happened here. So he made a statue that when you touch it, shows you what happened here. Yeah. So he made copies on DVD and put a screen right in the middle of town. A bootleg out there. Yes. Let people torrent that thing. I don't know. Anyway. Right. At this point, I think we're pretty much done for the day. So, Anne. Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch and your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue and an ads free site experience thank you very much uh, this has been the Blizzard Watch podcast uh, for myself and my two co-hosts I'm Matthew Rossi thank you very much uh, we will see you next week Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.